Hello, and welcome to Returning to Us, a podcast that gives you strategies and tips for how to hack your brain, build and strengthen relationships, and to teach people how to recognize and neutralize their emotional states. I'll discuss emotional intelligence and regulation, how food and exercise impact the body and brain, and share lessons from my own lived experiences. I'm Lauren Spiegelmeyer, the founder of The Behavior Hub, which is an organization that works to reduce the stressors of raising and educating children through a brain and biology-based lens. In these episodes, I'll share stories and strategies from my own life, work, and research, answer listener questions, and wrap it up with a try-it-at-home tip. Decades worth of information in just minutes. You ready? This week, we're talking about behavior, but we're talking about why behavior occurs. What's the deeper rooted issue that's going on here that we can figure out? So when that issue gets solved, the behavior stops happening. So we're going to talk about the five needs areas. So here are their five needs areas. When a child displays a behavior, it's usually because a need is not getting met in one of these five areas or in multiple areas. So it's the need to learn to self-regulate or emotionally regulate. That's a lot of our kids. It's not taught in everyday education, not not usually incorporated into raising children. So something that we need to teach kids. Emotional regulation, the need to have control. A physical need. So think food, water, sleep, shelter, things like that. A sensory need. Is another one. So think about the sensory integration and the things that relate to the senses. And the last one is a need for attachment or to uh, have attention or relationship build. So when I am working with a school or a family, my first step is to define which uh, which of these need areas are these kiddos checking yes for. And it can be similar for a child who's two or three all the way up to a child who's 18. So I make a list of the five need areas. And then what I do is I look for evidence. And that might be through observation or that might be just through conversation. So what would be evidence of some of these need areas? Well, a physical need would be quite obvious. Like if there's a child who's not getting sleep, you're going to see signs of exhaustion. If there's a need for control, a child's going to have a tough time transitioning or when they're told to do something, they're going to be more defiant and oppositional. A child who has an uh, attention relationship need going to be seeking attention or going to be overly, overly rude. A child that has a self-regulation need, that one's going to be obvious. They aren't able to regulate their body. They're breaking down, tantrums, swearing, hitting, kicking, all of those things. And the sensory integration or sensory need, kind of hard to tell, but you'll start to see sounds of it, like maybe uh, loud noises. They respond really, really strongly to loud noises, or maybe they don't like certain textures, foods. These are all things to pay attention to because there's a reason behind that, a reason for that. So once I have some evidence and I can determine if the child checks yes or no in one of those five need areas, then I start to come up with interventions that meet those needs. And if those needs are met and I put things in place to have those needs met before the behavior happens, then the behavior doesn't occur because they're not needing the behavior 
to use to get the need met. And they don't know that these are the needs that they have. They don't know that these needs are unmet. They don't know they're seeking attention for relationship building. They're just doing subconsciously what their body's telling them to do to get what they need from the people around them. So let's just take one here and dig in. Let's take control because I feel like that's a big one. It's one I see quite frequently. So let's say a child has a need for control. Let's say they they don't want to transition inside from outside or they don't want to transition from home to an external uh, community activity. So I've defined that they have a control need. So now I need to think about, okay, in these transitions, in these times, what are some things that I can do to give them some sense of control? And there are a lot of different ways to do that. You could give choices, but the choices have to be fair and motivating to the child. That's the big ones. I see people use the choices strategy, but it comes in the form of choice and threat or two choices the adult wants. It has to be two choices that are fair to the child. Other ways to give up control? Offer the, the child a job or a task or a responsibility. So what's something within that transition where they can have some ownership and they can feel some sense of control and feel proud and build their self-esteem where they're not worried about not making the transition or they're not focused on that. They're just focused on the job they have to complete. So just a few examples for control. For self-regulation, let's just say they're breaking down a lot. So that tells me they have a self-regulation need. So what am I going to do? I'm going to start teaching them things preventatively ahead of time before they break down to help them learn to self-regulate. And there's a whole framework that we teach on self-regulation. It's the same framework we use if you are three, if you are 13, if you are 23, or you are 33, because it is all based in brain biology and how our brains were shaped and developed. And it teaches us to recognize our emotions, kind of categorize them and put naturally calming things in place. So those are just a few examples of those different need areas. For the other ones, you could you kind of think about what would uh, meet those needs. So attention, relationship building, giving a child attention. What are little positive ways you can give a child attention so they don't need to seek that? And how can you do that before the behavior happens? Physical needs, make sure they have food. Make sure that they are getting enough rest. And if those things are without of your, uh, out of your hands or out of your control, the things that are happening at home and you're an educator, maybe they can have little rest periods during the day. Maybe you can talk to the family about the importance of some of these things and how it impacts their day. Um, but we have to focus on to what we have control over. So again, five neat areas. The need to have control, the need to self-regulate, a physical need, attachment and relationship, and sensory need. So determining which needs a child has, finding evidence for them, and then putting strategies in place to make sure that those needs are met. And you'll quickly find that behaviors either reduce or stop completely. So we'll talk more about this in the future and integrate it into our discussions on our emotional literacy and emotional intelligence framework and our brain biology-based strategies, but this is an overview of the five need areas and how we should tackle behaviors because we want to not just change the behavior, but get to the root cause. So this is an easy way to do that. And that's, that's it for today, short and sweet, but really, really powerful. So we're going to wrap today with today's listener question, which comes from Annapolis, Maryland. And the person asked, what do I do with a young child who is swearing? <laughs> so to connect it to today's topic, think about, okay, so if a child is swearing during a particular time of the day, what might be the need that they are not having met that would that they would use swearing to, to meet? 
So let's just say they want attention. Well, of course, swearing in a classroom is going to get that attention or maybe swearing at home might get that attention. So maybe the need is attention. So maybe if what you do is the times at which they swear, if you can calculate when when that might happen, like if it's happening the same time every day or the same activity, before that activity happens, give them some attention and they won't try and seek your attention during that activity. The other thing you can do is to describe your strong feelings about how you feel in regards to their swearing. Because if you have a strong relationship with a child and you describe your strong feelings, like you say, oh, it makes me so uncomfortable when people use words like that in my classroom. It makes me not want to be right here. Um, in doing so, you're building empathy. You're allowing the child to understand how their choices make someone else feel. And if you have a strong relationship with them, they're not going to want to disrupt that. Biologically, we want to keep our relationships. We want to keep them firm and strong. So when someone hears that the choice that they made is is making someone feel uncomfortable or not want to be around them or a negative feeling, it's likely they're going to reduce or stop using that behavior. The other thing you can do is problem solve, like actually sit down with a piece of paper and write the problem. The problem is in school, we don't use some words like that or you know whatever the problem may be. And then collectively with a child, come up with solutions. So if we can't use those words, what can we do when we're upset, when we want someone's attention or whatever you know the bigger problem is? And I know the thought of like having a conversation like that with a three, a four-year-old, even a five-year-old is like, well, they're not going to sit down and have a conversation like that. If you hide it in a game, like a back and forth game, like don't break the ice, your turn, my turn, you can come up with solutions for every turn so that their hands are busy, their minds are busy, uh, and they're not they're distracted by the the conversation or the game uh, during the conversation, so they're not avoiding it. But you can easily come up with two, three, four, five solutions that are better alternatives for that particular situation. And the other thing I would do is just make sure my expectations are clear. Have you shared the expectations for school or for home? Words we you words we do use and words we don't use, and. Uh, made those expectations clear and also praised them when they do meet those expectations. So really spelling those things out. So those are just a few things. Certainly there are many more options there as well, but we don't want to give you all the secrets. So we're going to end here with our try it at home tip called bear breathing. So what I do with this one is I talk to kids about how bears hibernate in the winter and how we're going to take a big deep breath in through our mouth, feel all that cold winter air come in, hold it for as long as they can, like we're hibernating in the winter, and then we breathe it out our nose. Or if they're really, really young kids, it might help to have them breathe out their mouth and make a really big growly bear sound. So the reason for this being that the breathing big, slow breath and holding that breath really helps to neutralize the brain and nervous system to bring their energy down. So in times of stress, overwhelm, great strategy to use to model for them and to do with them. And I would recommend at least three to five, if not more repetitions of that breath to get fully down to neutral. But remember, in order to use these things in a moment of distress, we have to practice them when we are calm. So be sure to practice them ahead of time so that they can recall them in the moment. And that's it for today's episode of Returning to Us podcast. And remember our try at home tip, bear breathing. If you'd like me to answer one of your questions on a future episode, feel free to email me at podcast at behaviorhub.com. And until next episode, I am Lauren Spiegelmeyer and thank you for joining me. 
Thank you.